All right, so throughout this series, we've been talking about our incarnational philosophy, which basically means when Jesus was walking the earth, how did he live? Like, how did he live his life? And, and what example did he set for us to follow? So as we, as we think through the beginning, or just basically Jesus' public ministry, even from the very beginning of his public ministry, his words are filled with, with compassion and hope for those in need. I mean, Jesus had this deep heart for those in need. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, reading from the book of Isaiah, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I'm not trying to make any more than this, uh, this passage than is already there, but the poor and the oppressed are the only ones singled out in this verse. The poor and oppressed. Um, now, before I move on, I was thinking about this the last like couple of days, um, and I mentioned it last week, but I want to define for you what the Bible defines as poor. Because in America, we get kind of things mixed up here. And some people get defensive when you talk about this. And some people, you know, they, 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 they don't totally understand who you're talking about. So let me define it. Poor is defined the Bible, and this is a general principle, is one who is wrongfully impoverished or dispossessed. Okay? A person who is of low income static, status caused by some kind of calamity, if you will, uh, or some form of oppression in their lives. So you have a poor person who's in that situation, not because they choose to be in that situation, not because they're not working hard to get out of that situation, but because they find themselves in the situation because of some, some calamity that happened in their lives or, or some form of oppression by the government or someone else that keeps them in, in that position. Now, a poor person is, this is not what a poor person is, is a lazy sluggard who feels entitled to your money or your possessions. There's a difference, all right? And we, we have this kind of tension some here at times in America, but uh, what the Bible is talking about, when the Bible talks about a poor person, is a person in that position, given the opportunity, will not no longer be in that position. They're giving, given that opportunity. A sluggard, on the other hand, basically, I said this last week, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty comes on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. That's what it says in Proverbs. So um, we've got to differentiate between those two. Because as I go through this, I don't want you thinking, oh, anybody who asks me for money on the street or anywhere else just walks in. There are people walking to church here all the time. They know exactly when Sunday morning services are. They don't come to participate in those Sunday morning services. They come to hit you up as you're coming in, because they know you're Christian people, and they put you on the spot. And they won $50 because my car and my kids and this, and I'm trying to get to North Carolina and yada, yada, yada. Okay? So there's a difference. There's a difference. This church has a food pantry. We help people. We do all kinds of things to help people. But we need, as believers in Jesus Christ, know the difference that the Bible calls a poor, poor person and the Bible calls a lazy sluggard. Okay? That's the Bible's words. All right, so now... We're talking about poor, the poor here, by a biblical definition. And there's no question that Jesus 
the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel that Jesus gave us is for everyone. Okay, but Jesus wanted to make sure that the poor and oppressed understood that the gospel was for them. And his words are lived out in his ministry, the way Jesus lived his life. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus spends a lot of time with people who were oppressed or who were basically, um, you know, singled out or, or, or undesirable, if you will, like lepers and, and just the poor. I mean, he spent a lot of time with prostitutes and tax collectors and the poor and, and people that were, were seen by others as, you know, oh, don't, be, don't go around those people. Don't, we don't want those people around us. Jesus spent time with those folks. He healed the sick. He healed the blind. He fed the hungry. And he warns us, okay, he flat out warns us to do the same thing. In one of the most challenging passages in the Bible, okay, one of the most challenging passages, those who do not feed the hungry, clothe the naked, or take care of the sick, all right, are in for his ultimate judgment. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, it says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will gather before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Very quickly. You know, it's amazing until sometimes you visit other places around the world, you don't realize, or if you're not looking at biblical history, you don't realize how important it is to go and visit people in prison. Because when a person's put in prison in first century or even in some other countries today, they don't get food unless someone comes to visit them and bring them food. It's not like the United States where you get three meals a day, you get to exercise, you get to do this. And it's not like that in other prisons. If no one comes to visit you in that prison, you starve to death. Okay, so you have to read this in context, too. So prison came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and come to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I mean, that is pretty sobering. That's pretty straightforward. So so why is this so important? Why is it so important? Why should it be so important to us? Because as Psalm 146 points out, it is central 
to God's nature. It is central to God's character to take care of those in need. It says this, Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. According to Scripture, defending the poor, the weak, and the fatherless. Defending those people is an expression of God's essence, of who God is. And, and if it's important to God, shouldn't it then be important to us? If this is so important to God, shouldn't it be important to you and to me? Shouldn't it be a part of our character, a part of who we are? And you can pick, I mean, some people, God's designed some people, they just are, they're passionate about overseas missions and, and taking care of orphans and widows. And some people are passionate about feeding the hungry here in the United States. And some people have a passion for helping out widows and helping out this or help. I mean, there's a passion for it, but we should all have some passion in our hearts to help those who are in need regardless of it's right in our own church, which we do all the time, all the time. Some people will say during a series like this, well, are we talking a lot about Africa? And we talk a lot about Mexico. And we talk about what are we doing here at home? We do more here at home than we do there. Okay, just let me say that. Why, by far, we do more for the people within the body of Christ than we do for anyone else. We start here at home, then we go into our community, then we go into our nation, then we go into our world. But we should all have a heart. So, because what happens sometimes during a talk like this is people say, well, you know, we got to be taking care of our own. And, and then you get, then it's, it's a way just to shut everything off. It's a way to just to shut your mind off and say, I don't, I don't agree helping these people. We should be helping our own. We are helping our own. So turn your mind back on. I'm talking across the board about everything. Okay. And everyone, how do we reach out? But if it's God's desire, if that's God's heart, if that's God's nature, if that's God's essence to help those who are in need, the poor, the real poor, then it should be a part of our character as well. Part of who we are. Proverbs 14:31 puts it this way. He who opposes the poor, listen to this, shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. This isn't just a New Testament Jesus thing, okay? Sometimes we think, oh, the Old Testament, wrathful God, New Testament, nice Jesus, you know what I mean? This is Genesis to Revelation. If you want to talk about themes in the Bible, other than the Messiah and the coming of the Messiah, and I mean, as a theme through Genesis to Revelation, the second most dominant theme in all of Scripture, and number one when it comes to passages of Scripture, is this. Taking care of those who cannot defend and take care of themselves. So that's what Proverbs says. But, but, but again, we can, we, can only, we can only begin to understand what, we're ta- what, what the Bible is talking about as we, as we study the life of Jesus, as we look into the life of Jesus and, and truly try to understand his identification, how he identifies, how Jesus Christ, the one that we are, we, what, is, what is our goal in life? To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, right? That's our goal. So if that's our goal, then, then to truly understand 
what it means to help the poor. We need to really look at the life of Jesus Christ and, and how he identified with those who were fatherless, with those who were defenseless, with those who were needy, with those who were poor, with those who were helpless. And the, the life of Christ. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says this, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor. I want you to think about this. Jesus is born in an insignificant province in the Roman Empire. Jesus' parents had to bring two pigeons to the temple when it, for, 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 for cleansing. He brought two pigeons and they brought two pigeons and not a lamb because they were too poor to afford a lamb. Think about Jesus' life, where he was born. In Jewish society, his first visitors... The shepherds were considered no more than common thieves. I mean, these weren't like, oh, the shepherd showed up at his birth? So keep going through this. His parents, the first people who show up. Um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Basically, Jesus warns someone who's eager to follow him. Yeah, I follow you anywhere. And this is what Jesus says to him. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. When he sent out his disciples, he basically tells them. He gives them little to sustain them. He says this in Luke 9, 3. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. All right, so again, what are we looking at here? We're looking at Jesus' identification with those who are in need. So you can define that any way you choose to, okay? You can define that, like again, people in need here in the United States, here in the church, over in Africa, around the world, in our own nation. I'm not concerned of how you define the poor as long as you're defining it correctly and biblically. All right, I'm I'm not concerned who you're trying to help. I'm just saying, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, understand how he identifies with those who are in need. Jesus had became, though he was the king of the universe, he became poor. He became, it says he took on the very nature of a servant. So Jesus' identification with the poor is powerful. And he made it clear that his preaching to the poor was a sign that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 5, it says, When John heard in prison... What Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news, listen to this, the good news is preached to the poor. You think about poor here in America, it's a little different than what Jesus was talking about, honestly, at this time. I mean, when you talk about people who are living a life that is so, they feel so destitute, and Jesus is coming and, and preaching this good news that, that not only you should have an internal perspective, not a temporal perspective, and giving them hope, not only for this life, but also for the future, that there is a future hope, that there's something beyond the suffering and the difficulty and the pain that they're going through. Jesus was so concerned, not only about what they were feeling here on earth, but that they knew that even though they go through so much difficulty and they're they're hungry sometimes and and they're being oppressed and they're being overwhelmed, that there, there will come a time 
Well, they, were in, well, they will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, they will, they will be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, I want to go back and I want to, I want to look at a text, a text uh, that we touched on earlier because it is such, it is the, the clearest statement about Jesus' identification with the poor. I'm going to read it again. Matthew 25, 20, verses 35, 36, and 40. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The king replied, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now, I want you to stop. Let's just stop for a moment and try to grasp the implications of this passage. All right? I just read you. Try to theologically, try to emotionally, try to intellectually grasp the depth of what we just read. What does it mean to clothe and to feed the creator of the universe? Can we even comprehend it? That's what he's, this is not, this is not figuratively blah, blah, blah. I mean, Jesus is saying, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. You know why? Because he feels it all. He's God. It's not like I watch something over there and I can kind of get a, an understanding of what's happening. No, he's engaged and engrossed in everything that goes on in every single person's life. So what does it truly mean to clothe and to feed and to visit and to care for when he's sick, the king of the universe? I mean, it, it is beyond, almost beyond human comprehension. All we can try to do is to look with new eyes at those who are truly in need and make every effort possible to try to help them overcome their pain and suffering. When there's a, when there's a little child in another country who's hurting. You know, this just jumped into my mind, but when I was in Nigeria a couple weeks ago, um, you, a lot of you guys sponsor little kids. So either through back-to-back ministries or another ministry, you've been doing it for a while. And you're here and you send them a letter. You send them a little letter. Maybe you send them a little something or other. And you think, oh, what, what impact is that having? I stood there, I promise you. It, it, it was the most, one of the most profound experiences. I happened to be there when the letters came. And all the kids were sitting and lined up. I got to speak to them. Really funny, quick story. This happens to pastors all the time. So I'm driving over to one of these orphanages, right? We're working with these children's homes. And the person who runs it said, hey, can you give a talk to the kids? And I said, sure. I mean, that's fine. Um, you know, it's only five minutes from now. <laughs> can you give a talk? 35 or 40 minutes, you know. And I thought, well, you know, I was like, all of a sudden, while he's talking, my mind starts going, okay, what can I talk about in 35, 40 minutes? I said, well, uh, I asked the question, so what's the age group here? He said, ah, four to 19. So, <laughs> so you got to talk 35 to 40 minutes to four to 19 year olds. Okay, so I did that. And then I got up and started, before I started talking, he said, and listen, kids, and the adults too, when Pastor Jeff is finished talking, he will answer any question that you have about the Bible. Okay. 
Not just what he's talking about, whatever you have. And these kids were sharp. These kids actually read their Bibles. You know what I mean? He was talking about the one first kid asked, the, 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 it talks about the keys of life and death. And, you know, if that's the case, then why do we still die? And I'm, I knew the answer, but I'm thinking, wow, I hope the next one's not that tough because I may not know the answer. But it was amazing. But at the end, they had the letters. And they brought him out. And the kids were just sitting there with anticipation that their name would be called out. And when it was, they had, I mean, you saw this, they had to be really calm about it because they, they don't let them just kind of tear around and carry on. But they just walked up and they got their letter and they sat back down and started reading it. And one kid got a little teddy bear that was part of his letter. I'm telling you, if you don't think it matters, wipe that clear out of your mind. It is so important. Here's the cool thing about it, right? You send that letter, and when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to say to you, thank you, thank you so much. I was so lonely. My parents had abandoned me. Maybe my parents had died. I, I didn't know anybody loved me, but you got, I got that letter every month from you. I got that letter every month from you. It was such, it was the highlight of my time as a child to get that letter from you and to get that. There is one of the boys that I'm, um, I'm sponsoring. He's 15 now. I found out that when Christmas rolls around, he's left. Not, not by himself. The adults are there. Some of the adults are there, obviously, oversee things. But all the other kids go into their villages or whatever else because they have some relatives around. My guy doesn't have any relatives at all. So he's Christmas, whatever holidays roll around, he's at the he's at the children's home, and it just I, boy that really stuck in me. I was like, boy, I gotta I gotta up my game a little bit here with my guy to make sure he's taken care of. But can you imagine when you get to heaven and Jesus says, boy, that letter, and you're gonna say, Lord, when did I send you a letter? Right now, you're not gonna ask that question. Because whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. How profound do we, do we even comprehend it? So all we can really do is look with new eyes, right? To understand what it truly means to, to care for the fatherless, to care for the, to, for care for the poor, to care for the needy, care for the oppressed. Because one day we're going to stand before God and one day we're going to have to give account for what we did and we didn't do. And before that day comes, we need to be asking ourselves, now take this in the context of what we've just been saying, but we're going to have to ask ourselves, how could we let Jesus go through the humiliation and pain and suffering of being trafficked? Right? We're, no one here is, is, is unaware that that's going on. Number, Ohio, number four in human trafficking in the United States of America. Ohio's number four. I think it's maybe number three. I'll say four. In human trafficking. How can we let Jesus suffer the humiliation of that human trafficking when there's something maybe we can do about it? How can we let Jesus feel the pain and the suffering of living a life with no hope? No one sending you a letter, no one taking care of you, no one caring at all. Just, you know, just you're hopeless and you're stuck that way. How can we let Jesus feel abandoned? Because he feels it. See, here's the thing. We need to understand that he feels the pain of the lonely. He feels all of it. He hears their cry for help. He hears all of it. He, he's, in, he's in the mind of every person who's wondering, will this nightmare 
Will this nightmare that I'm experiencing, I'm, I'm, I've been taken captive or whatever, and I'm being used for whatever I'm being used for, when will this nightmare end for me? He's in their minds. He looks through the eyes of every single child who loses their parents to AIDS or some other event. He feels that loneliness. You know, I, I, I used to say this a lot, um, but people ask, why do you do this business stuff? Why do you do this? Why do you waste your time that? How much, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I think of a five-year-old little girl whose mother died hmm, a few years ago. She only had her father. Now her father died of AIDS. And we think, well, yeah, someone's going to, the social services are going to come pick her up. Hmm, no, they're not. There is no social services. There are millions of kids who live in the inner cities of this world who are running packs or hunted down and killed at night because they steal food during the day. So now our little five or six year old girl is lost her father and it's getting, there's no one to rescue her. There's no one to take care of her. And all of a sudden it's getting dark and our little five or six year old is thinking, is thinking, well, what do I do now? So most likely she stays very, very quiet because she maybe finds a box to hide in and she stays extremely quiet because she doesn't want anyone to find her because she knows what will happen if someone finds her. And in our world, I'd love to say it's surrounded by just nice and sweet people and I take little kids in. That's not, not what happens. And we all know that. That's why trafficking is so powerful because there's a lot of kids to choose from. So if you're wondering why we do things sometimes in our church, sorry. And then you start thinking, he feels it all. We need to understand how God, how much God identifies with the least of these. We cannot let this, we cannot just read passages through and ignore the intensity with which he feels what they're going through. And if we're to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, we need to begin to see Jesus is not an outside observer of our pain. Jesus is a participant with us in our pain. We need to participate with those. We, we can't just pretend it's not happening. You got to lay in bed sometimes and you have to think deeply about the suffering that's going on around the world. And you know, what drives me forward and what I do is, is the thought of what I just described to you. I lay in bed some nights, some nights and I just cry. And that drives me forward. It drives me to be successful why is why is self-sustaining enterprises, for example, why is it so important to me? Because I have to succeed. Because I know if we, if we succeed, I know how many lives are going to be transformed. I know how many lives are going to be touched. I know how many people are going to spend eternity with Christ because we were able to meet their felt needs and then meet their spiritual needs. I'm not just a crazy man who likes to make work for himself. I do it because it, uh, there, there's a driving force behind it. And it's not because I just love to start different business trees and love to... There's a driving force behind why we do what we do and you just heard it. Here's part of our problem and why we don't. I think it's in our nature to focus on the sins that we're not struggling with 
or focus on uh, the sins that we're not doing instead of focusing on the sins that 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 kind of that make us fall short that, that we fall short in those areas now you might be thinking well i don't understand what you mean here well Give an example of what I mean. The, the biblical explanation for why God destroyed you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, the biblical explanation for why God destroyed Sodom uh, is a great illustration of what I'm, what I'm talking about here. If you were to ask most Christians, if I said to you, why did God destroy Sodom? Most Christians would say because of the sexual perversion, the sexual sin that was going on in the city. That's only, that's only partly true. Okay, that doesn't give the whole story of why God destroyed Sodom. The reason that he destroyed Sodom, one of the main reasons he destroyed Sodom was because the people, his people refused. Okay, the people there refused to invest. Okay, their lives to take care of those who are in need. Let me read you from Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. It says this. Listen to what it says and apply this, if you will, to us a little bit. Okay, I'm talking across the world. Now, this was a sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. You know, I I think sometimes, you know, um, well, let me first say this. These verses don't say that these folks oppress the poor, though they may have. All it says is that they, did, they didn't help them. It's not even saying that they oppressed them. It's saying they ignored them. They did not help them. They were comfortable. They were happy. They had their resources. They had everything they wanted. and care less about everybody else. So my question, I started asking myself, was why, why is it then our own Christian community is kind of blind to this truth? Like you hardly ever hear that, that passage preached, right, or talked about. Sodom and Gomorrah, a bunch of sexual deviants. And everybody goes, yeah, sexual deviants, that's their problem. No, it says that her, they were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Were they sexual deviants? Yep, there was that all going on too. But it's so easy for us to point out that one sin, but not to point out this other sin. So why is it that that happens? Could it be that we don't want to face our own sin? Let's just be honest. Let's just, I'm, I'll point the fingers right here. I'm not even going to point them at you. Could it be that we don't want to face our own sin? Could it be that it's easier to look in judgment, if you will, in, on one area of sin and avoid looking at uh, sin in our society as a whole in other areas, right? So it's easy to point fingers at our culture and our society in one area of sin, but it's, we don't want to point the figures and, uh, finger in other areas of sin because maybe we fall into that category as well. The, the cry of the ages, right, is, hey, at least I'm not doing that. Well, I'm not doing what that guy's doing. I'm not doing what she's doing. I'm not doing what he. I know what you're doing. I'm not doing. At least, at least I'm not doing that. It's that whole idea of the sin of omission. Let me read you from James chapter four, verse seventeen. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. I go. I can look over there and see somebody get mugged and saying, "Hey, I had nothing to do with that mugging. I didn't mug anybody. What did I? Do? I didn't mug anybody. I've never mugged anybody. Those muggers, sinners. They're terrible muggers." can't believe that but you see a guy hiding in the corner he's about to jump out on somebody and mug them you just kind of wall i don't know what he's actually going to do with that gun (laughs) maybe he was going hunting i have no idea right but you don't do anything 
And James says, if you know that it's wrong, if you know something's wrong, if you know something's going wrong, if you know someone's in pain, if you know someone's suffering and you do nothing about it, it's a sin. Luke 4, 60, Luke 6, 41 says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, I, I'm not here trying to beat this up, guys. I'm really not. But all I'm saying is we, we got to look into our own hearts sometimes and say, you know, Jesus is so concerned about this kind of sin. Well, he's yeah, he's really concerned about sexual sin. Of course he is, because it brings so much pain and suffering in, in many cases and hurts the person. Sexual stuff is physical, emotional and spiritual. That's the problem. OK, with sexual sin, it's physical, emotional and it's spiritual. You can, we'll talk about that some other time. But then we kind of let's go over here and look at maybe our look into my let me look into my own heart and say, am I giving to those in need until it's sacrificial or I just kind of give off the top kind of thing? You know, look, look how much I gave this year. Look how much you made this year. Are we really is it really a sacrifice for us? Have we made a sacrifice to the Lord to the Lord? Because let's take it back. You're not you're not giving to that needy person. You're giving to God. You're giving to Jesus. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. So whatever you're giving, you're literally giving that to God. And didn't Paul write in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, he said, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we also may share in his glory. See, I mean this sincere. This sermon is not about it is not about making anyone feel guilty, all right? It really is about maybe moving myself and moving all of you and anybody who's hearing my voice and, and it, uh, you know, online or whatever. It's really about moving us out of our comfort zone. That's what it's about. I don't want people leaving here. I really don't because it doesn't work. Guilting people into doing things just doesn't work. It works for about a week and then you go back to your normal. What I want to do is see people internally changed, because responding out of guilt, seriously, is works. Responding out of a sincere heart and desire to please God, that's, that's what we call grace. And that's why I love being a part of Grace Chapel, the pastor here at Grace Chapel. I love it because, you know, we can, we can walk this road. To, we're walking this road together. We can grow in this area spiritually together. We can change our community and we can change our world. We can do it together. We can do it as the body of Christ. You know, here, here's the cool thing. Last two weeks I've been talking and showing videos of, of the kids and the farm that we have in Nigeria and things that we're doing. And uh, we're talking about creating that farm and making it profitable. And our goal for 2018 was to get it sustainable. So it kind of break even by mid-18. And then the, not just the pig chicken farm. The chicken farm is profitable. But all the areas of the farm to make them all profitable by the end of 2018. And I laid out a clear, a clear vision, okay, and a business plan, business plan of how we were going to get that done last week. Okay, so over the last two weeks, we had a, a Enough people come and give above and beyond their normal giving that we can take care of everything that we talked about the two, two weeks prior to this Sunday. We had enough money come in to cover all of the expenses on that farm because people gave. So I'm not up here saying, what is wrong with you people? You're not doing anything. What a bunch of lazy bums keep all the money for themselves. That's not the sermon at all. 
you gave enough money. Actually, you gave more than enough. I had enough money. When I was sitting in a circle in the group, all the staff and back to back in SSE were in Nigeria and they were talking about what's coming up and their issues. And one of the things they said were there were kids in the village who had hepatitis A and hepatitis B. And they said that a couple of the parents have died from hepatitis in the village. So you had two or three parents dying of hepatitis. There's 130 kids in the village who need to be immunized. Okay? And it was, it came out to like 1750 bucks or whatever. We had enough come in that I was able to e- email them and say, go immunize all of our kids with hepatitis A and hepatitis B. All of them. Do all of them. All, the entire village, you gave enough where the entire village is not going to get hepatitis A or hepatitis B which I think is tremendous. So everything we talked about, the pig farm, the chicken farm, the, the, the manure for the, for the land, the, uh, the, the building that we can make so that we can store a storage facility that we can get grain, hold it for four or five months and resell it for twice as much because there's no storage facilities over there. All of that we can do. So I'm really excited about that. And I want to close out this sermon with the remainder of our time. And I want to share something, a vision with you that the elders really want to drive forward. Now, we've been talking about this for years. Now, we've been doing some things, too. You know, obviously, you know, we've talked about things we did this summer, we've done in the past. But I want to share something with you that we've talked about for years and that God has really just opened the door. There is a house behind the uh, American Legion right here. If you go down, uh, this is 5th Street, 4th Street, next street over, doctor, whatever it is way, there's a house right on across the street, which is kind of attached to our property, just the road's in the way. And I've been, I've been praying for that house for at least five or six years, okay, at least. I wanted, I wanted the church to get that house. And what I would like to do is use that house for those who are in need. Now, the American Legion wants to use the house, and they're, sell, they're selling it to us. They're going to sell the house to us. I've worked with them for the last six, eight months on kind of pricing and what we would do. Um, they would like to put a, a homeless veteran or a homeless vet and his family in that house for at least a year or two if we would be open to that. And I said, we would definitely, hey, a homeless veteran, that's people in our own community. These are people we love. I mean, veterans, we love them, all right? We're all over that. So we're going to partner with the American Legion for the first year or two, depending on how long it takes for that person to get settled, help them get a job. We can use the Orca Center and Jobs Plus, help that person find a job, and then move them on. So for the first couple of years, they'll rent that house back from us, and we will partner with them to help a homeless vet get in there and work with them on that. That's number one. Number two, the long-term vision for us would be that we would use that for aging out foster care kids, okay? Same thing. I don't care. You don't have to go to another country. A kid turns 17 years old. They're staring at 18. And what they do is give you what? Hey, see you later. Hope it all works out for you. 18 years old. They have no, sometimes they have no real skills to, to function in the world. Okay. A lot of the kids end up homeless. So we want to do aging out foster care kids. Get them in there. Either help them get into college or uh, create jobs for them. Do Jobs Plus. Um, or if they're entrepreneurial, we can help them start a business, work that, walk them through it in the Orca Center, raise the money, help them start that business, give them a job, or help them create their own job. We also want to use it for, it depends on what the greatest need is at the time, for women who have been through trafficking. 
All right. So we're working with uh, with Safe Harbor and other organizations and they take them through phase one, two and three. In phase three, they've gone through enough where they're ready to get back into society. They're ready to kind of reengage in culture, if you will. And what we want to do is create a phase four house for them where they can come in. They can live on their own, but they're still surrounded with by us, if you will. We come alongside them and encourage them and build into them, help them find jobs. Again, we do jobs training. Or again, if they're entrepreneurial, we'll help those women. We'll help them start their own business. And so what we have now a year or more to put all this in place, to, for us to plan this all out and get a real strong structure and plan in place so that when we put either the aging out foster care kids in there or the women who are trafficked, we are ready. We have the people in place. So here's the really great thing. Once the summit people in the church leadership and others found out about the house we were given immediately within a half hour after i let someone know this they gave us the down payment for the house so the down payment on the house the house is going to cost us eighty nine thousand dollars um, the down payment on the house is now taken care of. Then someone else came and was willing to give the money necessary to renovate. The, the house needs to be gutted. It's gutted, okay? This is a renovation job. But they gave some of the money to renovate that house. And then Jacob Shaw, who's here this morning, Jacob Shaw is, has got some expertise, well, a lot of expertise. He's an expert on kind of flipping houses. Jacob is going to lead us, okay, in that project. So we have a person who's going to lead the process of renovating the house. Once it's all renovated, the BFW, I mean, the uh, American Legion, don't say BFW when you're American Legion, I found that out. Um, but... <laughs> We'll work together with the American Legion and we'll start there and then as we go forward. But here's what we're going to need. We're going to need, I wrote some of these down. We're going to need volunteers, obviously, to help renovate the, the house. Um, high school and junior high, you're first. We want to get you in there. You guys love demolishing things. You're like, you know, just, you get in there with sledgehammers, let you demolish the whole thing and get it all thrown into a dumpster. Um, and you can work on some things after that. But we need materials for the renovations, we want to save as much as we can on the cost of renovating this house. So if you know someone who can get us materials or you are good at making phone calls and calling Lowe's or calling Home Depot, we want to get as many materials as we can for free. And especially if a church and American Legion are working together on a project, I don't think that's going to be too difficult. And then we need skilled labor. If you can, I mean, if you are skilled in how to put in a bathroom, how to put up drywall, how to do those kind of, we want, we need skilled laborers. We also need people who are electricians or plumbers. That usually costs a lot. And if we can get someone to kind of give their services. Now, we have money to pay folks. I'm not saying we're going to get it all for free. But as much as we can do for free, that would be really, really awesome. We also need people who are going to help minister to these women, the younger women, the young girls who are coming out of, mostly we're going to start with girls when it comes to aging out of foster care. We'll start with girls. We'll put two or three girls in there. But we're going to need people to come around them. All of these folks are adults, okay? They're not minors. But we still need people to come around and mentor them, disciple them, just invest in them, get them plugged there. We want them to be a part of the church, okay? Get them plugged into the body of Christ. That's really important. And then long-term, working with Safe Harbor, one of our ministry partners who works with people in trafficking and other organizations, our goal, and this is kind of a secret, so I know it's a secret to hundreds of people, but... Um, we, we, we really want to play a little bit of Monopoly here, okay? We get one house, we get another house, we get another house, we get another house. 
Um, even if some of you buy the houses and just control them for us at the point, but we get these houses and we build this ministry. So once we get our feet wet, once we know what we're doing a couple years down the road, we can keep buying up houses and just keep going down the road here and doing what I just described to you on a larger scale. But let's not bite off more than we can chew. We'll get started slowly. Unless a house comes up, and then I'm going to get some of you real quickly. Um, <laughs> another house comes up for sale. So here's the thing, guys. Taking care, I'm, I'm so excited about this because we prayed and prayed and prayed in that house. I said to them, the American Legion, hey, they got in a sheriff's auction. I didn't even know it was open for sheriff's auction. And they got it and I was like, oh, but then I said, hey, if you ever want to sell that house, let us know. A year later, they said, hey, you guys still interested in maybe partnering with us on this. So that's how we got it. But here's the deal. <laughs> Taking care of those in need is important to God. I think I pointed that out this morning. It's important to God, and if it's important to God, it should be important to us. Let me close with this scripture. Proverbs 19:17 says, "Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done." He who is kind to the poor, whoever is kind to the poor, lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. That's the exact same meaning, if you will, as Jesus saying, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. That passage means you are literally giving whatever you're giving to God the Father. Think about that. Whatever we do, okay, he says you will be blessed. Whatever we do, we are literally giving that gift. He who lends, he who is kind to the poor, lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they are doing. So I say... We keep dreaming, we keep thinking, we keep asking ourselves the question, what, Lord, do you want us to do to meet the needs of those who are in such desperate situations? We will, we will honestly, we will continue to build out this facility being very conscious of, how, of what we do with this facility so that we can continue to give as much as we can to those who are in need. And I mean truly those who are in need to see transformed lives. And then every single one of us one day will stand before God as the body of Christ, if you will, and as individuals. And what we want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we want to hear God standing before each and every one of us, Jesus standing before each and every one of us saying, thank you, I was in this situation. I was in this situation. I was being trafficked and I was rescued. And then you guys gave me a life and you and your church. And we'll say, Lord, when do we? And then we'll realize whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. Let's pray. God, thank you for this amazing time that we can spend together. And God, thank you for this awesome church. You know, God, we think sometimes we need millions of dollars to do anything to make a difference in the world. And you have proven through this body that we don't. We need passion. We need creativity. We need to think outside of the box. We need to fight for what we know to be right and step out in faith sometimes. Even we don't know where the resources are coming from, but we believe that you calling us to do something and we just step out and do it and then you provide what we need. And God, we're thankful for all of it. And we want to give you, we want all of us here, Lord, want to give you the praise and the glory for everything you're doing through this church. Thank you. We thank you with all of our hearts for using us, for using us, this church, Grace Chapel, to make the difference in the lives of so many. We love you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.